and welcome back to Sound of the Moment. I'm your host, Pat Cleaver, and this is the monthly show featuring conversations with musicians about jazz, music, and more. Please subscribe to this show wherever you like to listen to podcasts to remain updated. If you want to be in touch, you can find me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver. You can like the Sound of the Moment page on Facebook, and you can email me at pat at soundofthemoment.com. If you'd like to support the show and help me to cover the costs of production and hosting, you can make monthly or one-off donations at patreon.com slash soundofthemoment. Thank you so much to those of you who already helped me that way. This is episode number 48 for the 22nd of February 2020. My guest is vocalist and bassist Fuensanta Mendes. She leads a large ensemble that features many previous guests of this show. And before our conversation, I'd like to play you a live recording of theirs. The band features the voices of Isabel Mirayas, Sana Rambachs, Marta Arpini and Laura Polenz, Alistair Payne on trumpet, Jose Suarez on alto saxophone, Taisa May on guitar, Sunmi Hong and Guy Salomon on drums, and of course, Fuensanta herself on voice and bass. The piece is entitled Perspectiva. No era libre en su cabeza Traía infectada la falta de perspectiva Y como para sentir que esto sí lo decidía Clavó su tacón en una siena ajena Thank you. 
My guest today is Fuensanta Mendes, vocalist, uh, composer, bassist, uh, all kinds of things. Fuensanta, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I always begin with the same old boring question, which is to ask my guests to introduce themselves a bit in their own words, um, because I can imagine that not everybody will necessarily be familiar with you and your work. So tell me a bit about who you are and what you do and all that kind of stuff. Well, as you said, my name is Fuen Santa Mendes, and um, I was born and raised in Mexico, mm-hmm. in the province of Veracruz, in a little, in a little rural area called Rancho Viejo or Tlanel Guayocan. And uh, there, I lived until I moved to Amsterdam when I was nineteen. That was four and a half years ago mm-hmm. uh, to study at the Conservatory of Amsterdam. So I've been here for a while. I did, I mean, I had a rural upbringing, but I did go to school in a city and everything. So, yeah. yeah. And I play music. I write poetry and music and um, love improvisation. And um, I play the double bass and I am a singer. I don't know how to play electric. This will surprise a lot of bass players. It's uh, way easier. Um, <laughs> I can't hold it. I always want to turn it into a vertical thing. Yeah, um, I know. I had that for years and, and then I learned how to do it. But it, it is quite easy. You, if and when I, you decide my, to switch. It's on my list now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And I, yeah, right now I'm here making music with beautiful people. Yeah. I think... You have probably been featured on this show like three or four times before because you've been on a bunch of records of people who have already been on the show. So people might be familiar with your voice already and and we're going to get to talking about your music and your band and and we'll find out that your band is full of people who've also been on the show already. So people are going to be quite familiar with the the kind of scene that you're you're involved in. Um, But before we get to that, I do want to kind of uh, go back to kind of your, your origin story, let's say. Okay. Um, can you tell me a bit about uh, kind of your your upbringing in the sense that, as far as I understand, you come from quite an artistic family, mm-hmm. um, and your mother is a is a dancer and choreographer. And as far as I understand, like dance was also quite a big part of your absolutely uh, your youth. Can you tell me a bit about that and about dance in general? Like how that is that something that still informs your work? Because obviously, it's something that you studied for a while, and then and I guess you've now moved on from it, but. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, for me, in the beginning, I was like every kid. Like, I wanted to be a chef. I wanted to be an astronaut, all these things. Uh, <laughs> chef and astronaut is, is, <laughs> yeah. is a good, uh, good spectrum. <laughs> and um, I went to music classes with my neighbor, uh, who is a very dear friend of my parents and also uh, of mine, of course. And yeah, so I had to walk through the little piece of forest that connected our two houses mm-hmm. uh, on Sunday, on Saturday mornings. To me, that felt eternal and I didn't like going, <laughs> I said. But once I was there, I was the happiest, you know. Mm-hmm. So I studied flute a bit there. Uh, and then I guess I complained or the flame kind of dried out. I don't know what happened, but that was when I was like four or six. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I learned a lot there. I, I discovered later, <laughs> like how to read and these things that are nice to just know without remembering. Yeah. How. And my mom, um, yeah, she 
she used to, she was a soloist of the National Ballet mm -hmm. in uh, Mexico City. Yeah. And when she had my young, my older sister, um, they kind of thought, this is not the place we want our children to grow up. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, smog was making her like a little bit sick and... They also had a bunch of friends who moved into this area in Veracruz um, that were kind of artists and uh, I hope I'm not making the story too long. I'll get no, to no, dance. No, it's interesting. I, I mean, this is, uh, <laughs> this is what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. Well, they had this uh, group of friends that had been moving there. Like uh, it started with a dancer actually and a photographer who are older than my parents and they had... There are children there who were the generation of my parents and some other people like this neighbor moved there and they thought, okay, we're going too, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so my mom was teaching at the University of Dance in, in Jalapa, in Veracruz. And uh, my father was working at the radio. And eventually my mom, um, my mom also started her own school with a colleague of hers that also danced with her in the National Ballet. Mm -hmm. And, oh, not in the National Ballet, I think in another company. So then I think we were just kids, you know, so my mom called it general culture. Like she called it body culture. Like, okay, okay like he, it's great. You go to school, you learn a bit of math, right? You learn a bit of literature, you learn you're supposed to know a little bit about stuff. And then she also thought, you're supposed to know a little bit about your body. Mm -hmm. So you have to go too. Yeah. Uh, and uh, all my childhood, I was, you know, like uh, as I was, how do you call it when you can't walk in English? You crawl. I was crawling around all these super alien looking feet, you know, this is, was <laughs> my childhood, like uh, being in between the curtains uh, while the stage my mom directing lights and uh, now we go to number seven and uh, give me some more lilac amber no and then yeah. <laughs> and you know like uh, people getting undressed and dressed and um, feet bleeding and just magical moments. Mm -hmm. So I I think that's something that really stayed very. Uh, that's probably what I keep with me the most. Just the whole stage performance um, sacredness, you know? Like mm -hmm. uh, in there, in the jazz show, you just go and stand up and and uh, play sometimes. I mean, there's a lot of people who go further, but it can be that they're just like, and now Fonsant is going to play and I go and sing. And it's really boring to watch. <laughs> like, yeah, it could. It's beautiful it, to listen to, but... Yeah, um, but I mean, there's no, no big... Uh, you know, they saw me eating a falafel in front of them <laughs> three minutes ago, you know? like So, and in dance, that's just not something you would ever do. Like, I learned very young that if you're going to watch from the back, you have to stand... If you can see the audience, they can see you. So that's a no-go. And, you know, all oh, this yeah. mystic around the show. And if you forget what's going on, it, it's um, it's not a casual thing to kind of stop and do mm -hmm. it again, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think that's the... I mean, I like the casualness also that it gives you to have a show and talk to the audience and things like this. But, uh, wow, I'm making a... A short story long, maybe. No, but it's good. This is, uh, again, like, this is what we're here for. 
Yeah, so I was dancing in, uh, after the chef and astronaut thing. I went to my mom's school and I, I actually started getting really into it. Like uh, I was going every day and I had a very dear friend that was also my age and my mom's uh, partner in the school uh, daughter. So we would, you know, like go to our dance classes and rehearse and just kind of invent, do little funny videos or write stuff together all the other time. So, mm -hmm. yeah, like I had a really, really beautiful community with also my mother's students and fellow choreographers and the kids that went with me. And I thought I was really going to be a dancer. Like I was so serious about it. I, she never pushed me, you know, so I was never like kind of this um, kid that is like super virtuosic, like some... Actually, no, I would go four, four times a week or five when it was like most serious and sometimes mm -hmm. went to do some like national competitions and got to travel a lot as a kid with that. So that was really cool. But I was never like a any sort of star. I was average, but I had really long legs and I was flexible and I was doing my best, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so then when I started making music, because I was singing all the time, maybe that's a different story. But uh, Which I also want to hear. So <laughs> if you can segue nicely into that, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so I was dancing, dancing. Of course, uh, actually my mom was my favorite teacher, but we've, it was hard sometimes uh, mm -hmm. because I was becoming a teenager and then she's my teacher, like Jesus Christ, yeah. you know? <laughs> And also, uh, I was so flexible. It was really uh, frustrating. Sometimes you would be like, stand in your center. And I'm like, where is it? <laughs> <laughs> so we would have these sort of stupid uh, rubs, but then we got over it. But uh, at a certain point, I kind of just stopped going and I was singing all the time. Like I went to primary school and in sixth grade, then you're in Mexico, you're like um, between 11 and 12 when we graduated, they make these silly nominations like the girl with the most beautiful eyes, uh, <laughs> okay. the boy that makes everyone laugh, you know, and then we, yeah, like everyone a yearbook votes. Uh, thing yeah. In, in this, yeah. And uh, they had one that was La Mas Cantarina, like the one who's always singing, and I won it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's true. <laughs> like uh, I kind of, it was the first time I thought like, oh, that's kind of true. Like, because I would learn all these Cristina Aguilera songs with a friend of mine. <laughs> And I remember, like, I was so on it. I was almost a, a bit disappointed sometimes when she kind of didn't learn the whole song. I was like, <laughs> we're doing this, right? <laughs> so then I won that and I was like, oh, I think I, it's right. Uh, I like to sing a lot. And kind of, I was taking a break from dance, doing it sometimes. Uh, but I entered um, secondary school that was actually full of children like like me that their parents had moved to the countryside and were kind of bohemian. Mm -hmm. And so it was really a party because for <laughs> the first time, everyone came from this kind of semi-hippie uh, environment and uh, it was really fun. And this friend, who is one of my oldest friends and still one of my best friends, uh, she was going to sing in lessons. Okay. So she told me, yeah, maybe you can tag along one time. I go with my sister and another friend. We go, the three of us together. So I went and um, and I remember we did some exercises and we 
sang some four-part harmony things. So mm -hmm. I was trying to follow as much as I could what they already knew. And they told me, okay, now you have to sing a song for us because we don't know your voice. And I sang, uh, I want to hold your hand from the Beatles, I mm -hmm. think. Uh, and I was just like, this is incredible. I <laughs> am going to do this the rest of my life. Like, I just knew, you know, like my, my father came to pick me up. I was I, 12 or 13 then. Yeah. And I sat in the back of his bug, you know, mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm a singer. <laughs> uh, and I told him. And I don't think he had, uh, I don't think he knew how serious that was. He was like, okay, yeah, that was nice, right? And mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is what I'm doing the rest of my life. He's like, okay, <laughs> cool. But I feel the same, you know? It's like that decision hasn't changed at all. Like, it's just, uh, I, I feel exactly like the same person that when I did that. So that's how, yeah, I started making music. And after that, um, yeah, I mean, it was taking so much time because I was going to school like all kids. In Mexico, there's not really uh, like in Europe, these schools where you can choose if you're in an artistic profile or you yeah, go okay. to school mm -hmm. like everyone else. And if you want to do other stuff, then you go to that after your school. Yeah. So um, it started becoming more and more serious and uh, I just couldn't do dance anymore. Mm -hmm. And I chose to do music. But now I'm doing it again. A little bit, actually, okay. for fun. Yeah. Not ballet because, oh my God, like it's so depressing to go once a month to do ballet. You just realize you can't do anything. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I love to go dance Afro and hip hop. Like uh, I re it was very nice to rediscover that lately. I just yeah. like dancing too. Yeah. yeah. And so when... When did jazz come into the picture? Because like from the from the like stuff that you sent me before this conversation, it seemed like it was really early. It was quite close to that point when you discovered singing. Um, is that the case? And that that seems kind of, I suppose that seems quite young to get into jazz. But then mm. again, I say that, and I probably got into jazz around that time as well. Um, but so what? Like, what was the path to to jazz? Was that just what you were singing, or was it? I had like, um, because my parents listened to so much music, which is really extremely fortunate for me. Mm -hmm. But um, I had, I knew kind of blue, kind of from memory. And I had like, uh, my dad gave me a, an album that was like a compilation of Round Midnight Ballads, it was called. And there was some Chet Baker there and singing my funny Valentine. And uh, Mel Torme singing Born to be Blue. Mm -hmm. And I had the silver collection from Billie Holiday in my nano iPod. You oh, know? yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I kind of, I heard it. I like to fall asleep to the Mel Torme and Chad Baker ones. And I kind of deleted the other ones from the album because I didn't like them so much. <laughs> and uh, the Billie Holiday thing, like I would listen to it. I was not sure if I liked it, but I kind of kept on listening to it. But I actually didn't even think that was jazz. Jazz, like I didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, I after that decision I made when I was 13, I just kept coming back to this wonderful teacher that was there. Uh, yeah. Lisa Lisa Servin is her name. And uh, with her, we would play djembe and she would play guitar and kind of, she would help me with the pop songs I liked. Um, and she would also teach me Mostly Latin American folklore songs. Yeah. And uh, she also was the one to give me my first gig 
actually as her backing vocalist in oh, her wow. album release, which was incredibly beautiful yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as a feeling like oh, it was my first concert. Uh, I think it's on YouTube, which is crazy, but I'm not going to say it. And okay, I'm yeah. not going to talk about this. Anyhow, um, <laughs> I was doing that for a year and I was really... Um, I would do whatever to go for to my singing lesson, you know? Like, I remember she had to send me back home a couple of times because I had a fever and I insisted on going. She was like, you're delirious, go home. Like, what are you doing here? Yeah. But uh, she was so warm and it was very open. We did different kinds of things. Uh, and I, at a certain point, I guess, mm, I was fortunate that my mom thought, well, how about studying music a bit more for reals because you said you want that, right? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. But uh, there was only a... There was the Conservatory of Classical Music and I really didn't see myself singing opera. Yeah. And there was a new school that was like the jazz school. It had been going on for like six months only when I came in or maybe one year. Yeah. And uh, the big news was that there was this Cuban teacher who had just started teaching there and my mom was like maybe that's your place to go so I went there almost everyone I was like always the youngest uh, <laughs> I had a bunch of friends that started with me but overall it was like people that were like in their 20s and I was 13 or 14 when I started there yeah. and um, yeah like um, I yeah I remember they taught me music theory and I thought that was the craziest, I most eye-opening thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and they would, you know, make uh, hearing examples also. And I remember listening to one, I wish I remember, ah, all of you from Ella Fitzgerald mm -hmm. and thinking, wow, this boy really sings beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. Well, you know, I just really got into the music because also the teacher, uh, she was like, choose a song. And I'm like, which song? Like, I don't know anything. <laughs> and she was like, okay, you're going to sing... Um, my old flame. So that was kind of hilarious because I was <laughs> 13 years old. And I'm like, I've yeah. met so many men with fascinating <laughs> ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was my first jazz standard. But, you know, just like the whole community, it's, I know normally it doesn't go that way. But with me, it was because I went into school because I wanted to learn music and there was a jazz school. Mm -hmm. So then I, I had a vague notion, but there is where I actually started listening to the music and I really liked it. And I would lie in my bed, you know, listening to compilations of old songs and I was in love with a boy and I would only listen to Chet Baker thinking about that boy. And then when <laughs> he didn't want me back, I would listen to Lady in Satin from Billie Holiday and be like, I'm a fool to want, you know, like it, it hit me yeah. hard. I, it was a natural choice for me mm -hmm. then. And uh, I... Yeah, I never went through the kind of being a classical musician or pop songs. Yeah, I sang them, but not with bands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you make the decision to come to Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell me about how that came about? Like, it, that's that's obviously quite a commitment to cross the ocean and come study here and, and all that. Like, why did you look at other options? Was it, was it always clear that you wanted to come here? Like, how did that happen? It was pretty random, actually. Yeah, I feel uh, like a lot of people have that experience of it. <laughs> it was random and it was actually the perfect thing to have happen. But exactly. It, 
I had this idea, I don't know why, but maybe it's also because Mexico is a complicated place. And now I feel different about it, but there's a general notion that stuff outside must be better, which is absolutely terrible. Mm -hmm. And I'm really trying to be one of the persons who is not supporting that notion. But, you know, studying abroad was like, for sure, the coolest thing Mm -hmm. you could do. And I also, I liked, I really liked um, the school I was in called Jasuv. That was, that gave me so much, you know. But I was also always making up my own program a little bit because Mm -hmm. once I finished uh, the preparatory courses, they wouldn't let me into the bachelor's because I hadn't finished high school and I kept Mm -hmm. repeating the same course for two years so of course I just stopped caring but I was always doing my own thing like I didn't really go to high school I uh, anyway like I, I was very much doing my own thing but I wanted to feel a community where singing jazz was a thing you know because it's a rarity now I discovered that actually it's also a rarity everywhere kind of I mean, less here but you know like I really loved harmony and improvisation and uh it always felt like I didn't have um, so many people who were like on that boat with me or who could advise me a bit more thoroughly on that. I, but I think I just wanted to move somewhere else. And yeah. I thought, I don't want to go to the United States so much. Also, I, think, I don't think I could have ever afforded it. No, nobody can. I mean, yeah. <laughs> unless you decided uh, 20 years before you were born that you were going to do that. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah, and I had like this kind of Mexican, I don't want to go there. Yeah. Like, uh, why? Uh, I have what? a European, I don't want to go there. So that's. Uh. <laughs> but actually, now, now it's, I don't feel so much that way. But I thought, okay, so if I'm going to study jazz, probably Europe mm-hmm. is uh, the way to go, right? Because uh, Latin America is also going to be similar to here. And uh, so I went on Google and... I also had heard about some people mentioned the Conservatory of Amsterdam, but it was not like I had that big plan. I just kind of knew it was really good. Mm -hmm. And I knew I wanted to be in a big city where there was a lot happening. So I immediately was like, okay, Paris, Berlin, London, Amsterdam. It has to be something like this because I want big. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And Google and YouTube, and I kind of looked up the teachers and... Uh, I didn't know anyone, so I thought, Amsterdam looks kind of cool. Okay, I'll go there. And I sent my video and I came and someone who had studied in Utrecht put me in touch with a Mexican who lived in Rotterdam and so I could stay with him during <laughs> okay. my auditions. And I really knew zero people. Yeah. But I thought, why not? And I was very lucky that I was able to come and do the audition once they invited me because... That could have also not happened, you know, it's expensive, but somehow it was possible. All my family kind of got together for the effort also. And yeah. uh, and I didn't think uh, they would take me, but they did. And uh, <laughs> I kind of just moved here, but I can't remember the whole decision. Like it feels so random when I look at it um, like now, but I just thought, oh yeah, Amsterdam looks cool. And I had no idea. Like I had one record from Jesse van Ruller and Martin van der Grinten that I yeah, knew, okay. the nine stories, but mm-hmm. I actually didn't know the musicians here. Mm-hmm. But it it was a good 
It was a very good decision. Yeah. It also sounds like a really brave decision to me. Like you're describing it, you're laughing about it now of like, I just came here and I stayed with a random person I didn't know and all that kind of stuff. Like, was there no fear attached with this whole thing? You just went for it? Yeah, I, actually, I there was no fear. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. I mean, it's 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 impressive, I suppose. Um I, I do want to touch again. So uh, sorry, I always like backtrack to things. But so please, you please do because um, I am like you say say something. <laughs> you uh, you need to press pause with me. You know. <laughs> so um, I always like to ask guests who uh, come from particular parts of the world that I'm not particularly familiar with about what the scene is like there. Yeah. Um, and I'm very curious about what the scene is like in Mexico. And you already kind of touched upon it with the notion of kind of a, maybe a sense of inferiority complex that there is there of people kind of assuming that things that are elsewhere are, are maybe better. Mm. And I think there's always been that wherever you go, there's the sense of like, well, you know, we're not New York, so we're not like as good kind of thing. I mean, even I had that where I where I was. Yeah. But um, yeah, can you tell me a bit about the scene? And also like you say that you're trying to be one of the people who is kind of acting against that inferiority complex like how I think it's really a general trend to not general trend but I think it's just I think that inferiority complex is really um, in my generation is disappearing and the ones underneath even more so okay like it was even stronger in my parents generations probably Um, but so you don't feel like you actively have to do it you feel like it's just naturally going away if I if it's naturally what sorry if it's just naturally going away this sense I mean I suppose the fact that the world is so connected and now yeah. makes it a lot easier to have a somewhat more realistic idea about what is yeah out there I think it's happening everywhere but um, well I I actually I'm afraid of saying stuff that is just stupid because I am a bit disconnected sometimes because I've been here for almost five years Mm -hmm. and I left kind of young like I did play a lot a lot in Mexico but also I started earning my bread with music here you know so kind of my adult career has been here Mm -hmm. I don't know so deeply what's going on now but I think this inferiority complex also yeah, I mean, what I mean with being against it is probably, for example, choosing, I like to sing in Spanish or I like, I don't see why I should be imitating um, American artists or, I mean, it's not that I don't care. People are people, you know, like it's not, I don't care. I'm not actively trying to, to, um do one thing or, or the other, but I feel it, it became more and more like uh, in restaurants, for example, they choose maybe to be called Maria instead of being called, what, Wallace? <laughs> I don't know, like, <laughs> I feel it's happening everywhere. I, I want to see the restaurant called Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's very suspicious. Yeah. But I think it's happening everywhere also because, I mean, the main thing that has happened, I think, is that the U.S. is such a strong influence in the whole world, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, also in Europe, people still have this feeling, you know. And that's cool. I mean, it's okay. But I think probably the Trump thing also has made people be a bit more proud of their own origins or something. Mm-hmm. Because 
it just makes it so evident that these things that he's celebrating, we don't like so much. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, I might be really wrong saying this, but I think actually it's having an impact in people all over the world, kind of going a bit more for the coolness of the local roots, actually. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, basically the US used to be able to have kind of a weird sense of moral superiority after the Second World War. Mm. And that has like significantly degraded since then to the point of now where we're kind of like, yeah, no, that's kind of the opposite is true now. And therefore you find value, like the values that you think you saw in like the United States and stuff are actually kind of maybe not there anymore, or at least significantly less there. Mm. Um but so, so you say that you're not particularly connected with the scene there and therefore you, you can't really speak authoritatively well, I actually, about it. But. I could say more things, of course, because yeah. I am I still know a lot of people. I'd, I was thinking I didn't really answer to your question. <laughs> now, I'm curious uh, about if there's any opportunities for you there. Like how, how has that been now, like uh, going back there and, and stuff? So um, there is, um, I know a lot of people because I played in so many bands um, when I was there and I went to school for many years. So now it's kind of sweet that I, when I come back, I can, yeah, I mean, there's people, thanks to internet, also following what I'm doing here. Mm -hmm. And uh, I write these songs, you know, with Spanish poetry and they are sometimes involved with that. So... I like to go there as much as I can and uh, I'm trying also to, it was more difficult while I was studying, but to to have a, a career there too. I mean, not because I want a career there, it's just because that's kind of obvious to me that I have mm -hmm. to sing for the people who are there, you know, I kind yeah. of wrote for them. <laughs> yeah. uh, so there is stuff going on. I think I'm going to go also this year a couple of times. Last year I got... Um, um, grant for composing music from the National Culture Fund, which was really um, emotionally to me, it meant a lot because um, I felt like I had been doing things there. And then when I moved here, there was like a huge eraser that kind of cut the bridge between my past life and my present. And it was so weird because. Mm -hmm the the things I did were were so strong in me or you know, I think we all feel that way but it's just such a crazy place you know mm -hmm. and it has its own music like I didn't get to tell you because I got all fired up about Trump but like uh, <laughs> yeah like uh, it has its own style you know it, I and then suddenly it was like whoa past and present or I couldn't imagine that both places exist at the same time that has been slowly uh yeah it's more connected now the world is the world and i guess internet also helps i mean that was there already four years <laughs> ago <laughs> absolutely but yeah now like what i'm trying is <clears throat> yeah like i hope i can bring my big band someday actually um i'm trying to make that happen and there's a lot of people who who know what i'm doing and uh i'm just sometimes um it's difficult to plan big things sometimes there when also some things happen here and I know it's far away so it's so I need to make like a 
select a large chunk of time to make all the things happen. Mm -hmm. uh, this is so boring. I'm so sorry, audience. <laughs> no. This <it's> is really <laughs> not the most interesting thing. But right now, actually, yeah, like I, I am trying to be more there, um, trying to organize all the people who are kind of interested in working with me also to put them in the same chunk of time to make it plausible. And yeah. uh, I went three times last year um, because also of this of this um, composition grant, I had to go present my work, which was really beautiful because I was um, young artists like from all over the country and doing their own disciplines. And mm. uh, I, I felt uh, like so welcome back or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course that was an institutional thing, which was beautiful, but the real thing is people who, yeah. who, who will listen to the song before going to sleep or who, you know, but I'm trying to be more there and I'm organizing also sometimes little concerts in the area where I grew up because mm -hmm. to me that's a, sometimes that makes more sense that playing a fancy gig somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. Um, so there's another topic which again you've alluded to a bit, but um, if we're going back all the way back to like uh, your your upbringing and um, what I want to talk about is poetry specifically and mm. um, you mentioned that you got really into poetry in your teenage years yeah um, and again that feels to me like something that maybe people kind of um, touch on when they're in their teenage years and then they, they kind of go away from it but it seems like it's been a through line to you and it's continued and it was a serious thing that has continued to be a serious thing um, so can you, can you speak to the, to the idea of writing poetry? Like when did you start writing poetry? And also, um, and sorry, this is a really like a uh, far ranging question, but I'm interested in the, the difference between writing poetry and writing lyrics and whether you see a difference between those two things. Cause it seems to me like there is poetry and there is singable poetry and then mm. there's everything in between yeah. um is that is that a topic that makes any sense to you <laughs> it does make sense i although i am not uh, trained at all uh, like uh, actually it's kind of even silly that i keep saying that i write poetry i feel that way but because i also read uh i consume poetry mm -hmm. but um it has always been just uh it was the kind of thing I, w I would do for myself for years mm -hmm. until I kind of... I, I mean, so far it's still like that. Like most of my texts, they're in, in a notebook somewhere or I edited them and... But they are not anywhere to be found, you know? So, I mean, some of them turn into songs and those are the ones that, that uh, people can see. Mm -hmm. But uh, it has always been more like I just needed to do it. And then I kind of, some months later, thought, oh, this text actually has some useful <laughs> purpose. <Yeah. laughs> uh, but but uh, I read, uh, I started reading um, Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz. I, I was very much into Baroque poetry, yeah. like... Uh, in the colonial times in Mexico, uh, mm -hmm. for some that's very structured and very neat, which is something I really don't know how to do anyway. But <laughs> they write in perfect, uh, 
you know, like uh, it's uh, an absolute display of technique, but yeah. it's really, uh, Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz is amazing. So yeah, I, I was reading her a lot at the same time I was listening to Billie Holiday and I'm fool to want you <laughs> and uh, her and Gustavo Adolfo Becker and also Alfonsina Storni, who, who are also, all of them are poets who actually have a very, is, it's very old fashioned stuff, you know, is mm-hmm. And but I somehow just got inspired. I wrote some of these, inst- like uh, these kind of poems in the beginning. They kind of rhymed, and I take care of the metrics. They were not very good, of course, and they were a bit cheesy. And uh, <laughs> but then I just kind of um, I feel weird if I spend more than some days without writing. Like I feel like I need to have a chat with myself or something. Mm. So I almost always write before sleeping. And uh, and sometimes some of that, I just feel like I need to shape it in some way. And then I think, okay, that's probably a poem. Yeah. So that's how it is for me, but I'm not, um, I'm not uh, trained. And so what, what about that then... Um, what is it specifically about a poem that you've written, about a piece of text that you've written that that says to you, okay, this is a song? And therefore, and I'm also interested in the notion that I think a lot of people will, like there's a different process for everyone, right? Like when you're songwriting, like people yeah. either write text first and then they write a melody or yeah, they'll yeah. write a melody and they find a text that fits it, etc. And yeah. it sounds to me like you maybe are much more in the camp of there's a text that is a thing and then you'll shape it to... The song, or maybe there's a song that's a thing, and there's a text that's another thing, and then you find a way to marry them together. I, I don't know. It's, mm, it's a bit of both, actually. Yeah, because I oh, again didn't answer your question about lyrics and poems. Uh, <laughs> what was the difference, right? But yeah, for sure. Like, uh, what will make it feel like it's a? Did you ask if it's a song? When I see it, how do I know if it's a song? Yeah. What 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 tells you that something? like it belongs in your notebook and what tells you that something belongs on the stage? Right. Um, it's a bit random, actually. <laughs> it also has to do with, uh, oof, like, um, I think first time I felt it, like a new, the new way, like I felt like I stopped writing for uh, more than a year when I moved here mm-hmm. because I was so absorbed in learning everything that was here and I couldn't write myself and I was I was so full of thoughts and emotions I couldn't do anything like mm. and I was learning jazz and stuff and um, I think first time I felt this kind of poetry music connection appearing again was when I wrote this song called No Será Regresar and that's because <clears throat> Yeah, that was the first time I kind of did that again. No, I had done it in the past with a song, I think uh, it's not online, called Paralef. But um, kind of taking the text that already felt like a poem and it has to feel like a poem, you know? Then I, I realized that's really nice. If if it feels, if I have the words first and they are meaningful to me, they often come out better than if I'm just like, I have this little loop of chords and I'm like, until I feel like saying something. Yeah. Then I, it can be cool. I've written some songs this way, but, 
but it's just like I would like the text to stand on itself, you know? This is this is why I love Chico Buarque so much. Uh, yeah. This is why, because uh, I think I really want, I, I it's just better composed when I can look at them separately. Mm -hmm. uh, so now I try to do that more. It's not that I try, it's just what happens. Like I, I try to have a text that is strong in itself and then... And then, of course, I will change some things to make it feel uh, musicable. But <laughs> uh, but I think I marry them with a ha with a, an atmosphere. So I will also have maybe some. I think of atmospheres all the time when I'm writing. It's all about like finding one strong feeling about what it should be, and I can most of the times. I can say it. I heard also a guy talking about this yesterday mm -hmm. in your show. Yeah. Uh, about, he said something like clowns walking into a hospital and then you have to write something that feels that way. Well, mm -hmm. for me, it's also a bit like that, you know? So maybe I will feel like uh, it has to be, <clears throat> I have this uh, kind of anger or need of establishing a thing and then, I kind of feel the colors. I'm, I'm kind of synesthetic always mm -hmm. with music. So I feel which colors they should be. And once I kind of feel strongly something, then I just do my best to write it without betraying it. Okay. So in this sense, I, it can be that I, it has happened that I have a planet, planet, um, I don't know, there's different planets in my brain. As I grow older, they're becoming more vague, which is, I think is nice. But I used to have very clear bubbles of atmospheres. And then I knew that this smell or this poem or this rhythm or this, they kind of go all in there. Okay. And, uh, and then there's this other. So I tried to find uh, the same, a planet of music that will fit the planet of that poetry or... Or maybe I have some music and then I'm, I need to write a song because there's a rehearsal next week. And uh, <laughs> that, I mean, often that's just how it is. I mean, I, I always have to take stuff that is very real for me because <clears throat> I know it's a craft and I'm doing it that way, but it really has to feel like it's like there's no way I could have not said it or I don't feel comfortable writing the song you know uh, but maybe then I have these ideas and then I go to the notebook and I try to find some idea that fits that and then I just uh, insist on it for days it's absurd how long it can take me to write until it feels like they were too expressions that could stand separately but together they make more sense yeah. than alone or something like this like and the richness of the poetry like if it's very complex and then i write some music that's also super weird and super complex sometimes it can be it can be just it's not going to come through, you know? Yeah, they're going to they're going to kind of act against each other and kind of cancel each other. Out Absolutely. So same thing with Chico Buarque, I keep coming back to him like how he managed to in other in Brazil this happens so much, I think, but to make really sophisticated poetry that is a piece of art in itself and then also make really beautiful 
mm, harmonies and then you know use the rhythm that is kind of gives a f- compl- in in his country for example rhythm is such a rich and complex mm-hmm. thing but it's also what makes people feel represented when they listen to his music so somehow he he can make these pieces that are incredibly complex and still are pop music you know yeah. so i think this is oh my god i'm terrible i went everywhere again <laughs> it's, good, it's good but you know i i feel this is what i'm trying to do like i try to take something that feels colorful in itself and try not to ruin it with another colorful thing but just make them make sense and enhance each other mm-hmm. yeah no Does that's that interesting answer? yeah um, i think so i mean it it, it it's an interesting process cuz it sounds like you've kind of codified something that is really intuitive. Um, like it, it sounds like you rely a lot on intuition, but somehow you've Absolutely. studied your intuition in such a way that you've kind of created rules out of your intuition in a weird way. I don't yeah, know if that kind makes of, any yeah sense. you're right. Yeah. Um, which Absolutely. is an interesting, interesting approach. I do want to get round to talking about what you have described as your non-album. Um, and I don't know if you are actually comfortable still calling it your non-album or if that was just a joke you said one time or what it is. But, it was kind of a joke, um, but it's okay. But I, I, <laughs> I, I like the joke a bit. I mean, um, but, um, but it is probably like if, I'm, if we're going to refer people to something that they should check out to see your work, that seems like one of the most relevant aspects and it is, it is your music uh, played by, by your band. Can you tell me a bit about the band itself and about... Um, so this uh, to to clarify uh it's a it's a YouTube playlist that people can can go watch. Um so can you tell me about the band and how it formed and how you specifically picked those people? I mean I know a lot of people are going to be familiar with a lot of them because they've either been on the show or been talked about on the show. Yeah. But uh, can you give me some some uh, some details about that? Yeah, well, um, I I hope I managed to answer this one question this time. <laughs> but um, I'll try to be more precise in my questions. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, everyone. It's all good. They're only they're only getting one episode a month now, so the longer it is, the the happier they'll be. Okay, great. Maybe. Uh, let's revisit all the questions after this. But um, how it came together was because I actually was graduating from the conservatory, and I I had been already playing my music for. Some years here, I played with Nicolò Ricci and uh, Guy Salomon and uh, Lia Grigorian also for some time. And mm-hmm. and we I had a quintet that kind of was working a lot <clears throat> at some point with my songs. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, Brody was playing bass before I started. Yeah, Brody Jarvie. Bass. Brody yeah. Jarvie, yeah. So I... I'm so sorry. <clears throat> I had been doing that. Um, and then I tried also a smaller format, like I was doing Quartet um, with Santiago von Sternenfels and Tyson Guy. And um, I was playing solo too. And when I saw the opportunity to kind of have my big event, mm-hmm. because this is one fun thing about graduating, you can suddenly ask a lot of people to come and play with you whatever you want for free <laughs> <Yeah>. also. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, okay, I have the opportunity to make a big show and I I have, you know, like the kind of jazz format, it was not so interesting for me anymore. Like I still love it, but I, I, 
I knew I'm crazy about like um, voices and drums and because I love folk music so much, like folkloric Latin American music. Mm-hmm. These sounds are just in my brain, you know, and it started like it needed an outlet and <laughs> also harmony. I really love harmony, but I'm not a very virtuosic harmonic person. Like somehow lately I think more in melodies yeah. that work together and therefore it comes to a harmony yeah. than, uh, than a chord I could actually write. So now most of my music doesn't have, uh, yeah, I, it, Piano is a beautiful way to play them, but I feel like they get more defined with more like clusters and yeah. voices and horns and stuff. So yeah, more horizontal um, writing rather than vertical writing. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I've, yeah, more like that. Absolutely, but also vertical. But I can get to that later. I have a I have a good game in my brain that has been very important. Uh, <laughs> okay, in the last <laughs> year. But uh, I thought, okay, I have the opportunity to make something special. And I looked at my friends and I'm like, okay, first of all, I love Guy. He's like been playing with me all the time. He's my brother. And then he's like, I love Sonmi. She's like such a sister. Then mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I have to have them both because I really want to play. <laughs> and then I was like, I just kind of put all my friends on stage, you know? I thought, this is a special moment. I want to feel like I'm doing knit with the people I love. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was a magical period also of having like free improvised sessions with them. And then I thought that was going to be inspiration to write the music. And I was kind of already... I, I needed to reinvent a little bit what I had been writing because I had been playing my own songs for the last years and I, I was feeling like the sounds, I needed new sounds mm-hmm. and uh, voices was very important for me because also I do a lot at home with, just with logic and to hear harmony better, I, oh, I do it, me, I sing everything. Yeah. So I'm kind of, I had that sound very strong in my brain and um, words, you know? Mm-hmm. words voices can do words it's just really cool and we are not doing words actually so I shouldn't even say that <laughs> we're mostly using it as texture but um, yeah I did improvise sessions with them and uh, and I I kind of uh, also was met up with Alistair and Jose Alistair Payne and Jose Suarez yeah trumpet and, and saxophone trumpet and alto saxophone yeah and uh I invited them to have a, a session and the only thing we did was kind of, it started with playing, oh no, someone started warming up and then we were improvising for mm. a moment and it was just so immediate magic that it was like, okay. And then what I had called them for was like to try out clusters moving in different ways just because <laughs> I was so much into that then. Yeah. And also our timbers kind of, Tumbers, timbers, tumbers. They mm. blend in in such a special way. <clears throat> I forgot the origin of this question already. Um, We're just um, talking about the band and, and how, it, <laughs> how it came about and all the, all okay. the different... <laughs> so I would do, I would do <clears throat> free improvisation sessions with them and record them. And when I got home and kind of thought, okay, I'm going to write stuff now, I was also all the time going to the forest then because it kind of made me think better. But that's also where I grew up, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It was a really particular period of time while I was planning this music. Like I felt all the stuff I had been accumulating in myself and by playing with other people, like in more traditional jazz settings, was like brewing into a different kind of monster. And also this dance thing I told you about. <laughs> I I thought I want to do a performance, you know? So uh so I thought, I want to plan a show that is like a show from the beginning to the end, not just one song after the other. And listening to the recordings, I thought, these things are so perfect. They, I was so in love with some moments. Uh, but these are perfect because they did what was the only right thing to do in their gut feeling, because they were free to improvise. Mm -hmm. Because if I had written this for them, it wouldn't be as nice. It, it, it's already charged with interpretation. You don't need interpretation when you're improvising. You get the expression in itself fueling the thing you're going to play. You don't have to charge the thing you're playing with, in to, with intention, you know? Mm -hmm. so, uh, so I realized it had to be... I, I did choose a couple of things, but it had to be improvised. And in some way, this was how my compositions, I think, have become more accurate also in this whole atmospheric... Mm, non-betrayal thing I told you about. So that, I'm going to stop you right there because you used a word that I saw come back a few times and, and I'm interested in it. Uh, the word accurate. Like to describe the, the idea of interpreting your music, which in some cases is improvising your music, as more accurate the more improvised it is. Can yeah. you elaborate on that notion? Because I find it totally. interesting and, and, and it's, I think probably... To most people, hearing those two words, improvised and accurate, probably kind of are on, on different ends of a spectrum in a uh -huh. way. Um, and I, I don't feel that way, but I'm interested in, in hearing what your perspective is on that. So it's this thing I was telling you about intention being the fuel for what you're playing instead mm -hmm. of fulfillment of, um, of a preset thing that you have to interpret. Um, I did choose very carefully also who I am playing with. Um, mm -hmm. So, for example, for José on alto saxophone and Alistair on trumpet, I didn't write anything, actually, in the whole show. Wow. And they play a lot, but they really have zero. Mm -hmm. Well, they have, like, one thing that they have to read. The mm. rest is just... Because I know them so well. Um, and uh, I just thought there's nothing I can write that's going to be better than what they can come up with. Mm -hmm. But I made sure to let them know how I feel about the song, mm. which is not even necessary, actually, because they hear it. And I think this accuracy thing, accuracy thing comes from, um, from making the choices that are most musical, you know, because you are free to make them. So I want the whole ensemble to, A, be active in what's going on. Like, for example, the singers sometimes have some companies that they decide which one they're going to do and when, and they cue themselves. And in this sense, you know, the music can actually follow the shape of the song as it's happening because we, we are deciding together and that makes it more accurate just because it's precisely what needed to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm I'm interested in that because 
I'm interested in how you how you approach the actual notion of improvisation because I think that improvisation, like the 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 definition of what is an improvising musician, mm. is also quite wide ranging, and I think that there are people that will claim to be improvising when actually there's only certain aspects of improvisation that are totally. occurring, and there are people who are obviously researching improvisation, and there are people who are trying to uh, eliminate all of that kind of codified form of improvisation. And it, it yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not entirely sure where this question is going. But um, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in, so you, you say, for example, that you, you, they only had, the horn players only had one thing to read. But at the same time, you told them what you wanted from them for some other aspects of the thing. So how much of a, how much of a guideline is there? Yeah. Like, uh, because obviously mm. you're still composing and you're still, you're bringing this poetry and you're bringing like, like you described your whole system with planets and feelings and, and that kind <laughs> of stuff. So yeah. it's, it's <laughs> like, I guess what, what I'm coming to is um, it is possible to be composing and not be writing music on, on paper, right? Right, and, and And so like how much, how much of what you're referring to as improvisation is kind of that non-traditional form of, of, of composition? Like how much of it is kind of guided improvisation, whether it's guided in the moment by certain gestures which are happening in, in some cases or whether it's guided by kind of just a sense of, well, this is more or less what we're shooting for and therefore you can kind of expect what yeah. might happen. yeah. Um, I see. Sorry, that's a, that's a, that's a long. Uh, <laughs> no, it's really cool. Um, well, I maybe I'm making it sound more improvised than what it is. It's hard for me to say because um, I feel like it's in each song. There's like a the real art in the composing the song is to choose what to say and what not to say. I mm -hmm. have found this to be the most important question when leading a band, actually, yeah. in my experience. Like, I have had so many unpleasant moments, maybe because I think I want them to do whatever they want, but then I wanted something else, and then I'm like, <laughs> I tell them, do this, and then I'm like, oh, maybe they should have just done. I mean, yeah. so, for example, one thing I can decide will be Okay, so in this song, the drums have to sound like a broken apparatus, like a train malfunctioning. And mm -hmm. we can figure it out together, like maybe this part is not so improvised, but, um, you know, we choose the colors. And uh, there's a fixed melody maybe, or a kind of fixed melody, like, but it can happen... in a, Like more in the folk way, that it takes the time it takes. And... Mm -hmm. um, this part is more dense, this part is less dense, or, okay, so the whole melody is on this kind of Lydian thing, you can change the chords, but you have to follow the melody. Like, I do a lot of that, like, where the, it seems to be over a drone, but actually the melody changes the color of the harmony all the yeah. time. So, mm -hmm. so it's more about the, yeah, following the colors of the melodies a lot of the times. And for example, with the second piece of the playlist that you said, Olas, we had some systems for 
building clusters with voices. It's absolutely basic. Like there's no science there. It's mm-hmm. just like, or in whichever minor major, mm-hmm. uh, for those of you who are not musicians, just one thing on top of the other, the closest <laughs> one. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, moving them around and following the vowel. In a sense, I didn't write anything, actually. Mm-hmm. We are making it all together. And there's no, yeah, there's not one note written about how it's going to be. But we know that uh, it's mainly, yeah, that this there's one sign that is going to make us go to a cluster, that there's one sign that makes us slide kind of microtonally, there's one sign. So we can make decisions in the spot and it's called waves, right? So that's how, why I thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and another song, there's really written out parts, but there are like solos. But uh, overall, it's more, most of and most, uh, mostly that there are not like the lead sheet structures, you know, yeah. which is like a song and then comes the solo and then comes the melody again. It's more like uh, we will decide, okay, in this part, everyone chooses a little cycle and it has to be thin and broken. And in this part. Mm-hmm. But so it, it sounds to me like you're describing. And whether it is actually notated or not, you're kind of describing a form of graphic notation in a, in a sense. Like yeah, it could be like that this. you've got a piece of paper, and instead of having some chord symbols and and melodies, you've yeah. got like a sentence, and then you've got another sentence, and that's kind of how you build your structure. Right, I but mean, the just, melodies are kind of fixed. Yeah, sure. these changes. Which again, in graphic notation, you've got that kind of stuff where people yeah. will write. I mean, like if you look at some of the like Anthony Braxton did some stuff where literally it goes from staff paper to a drawing back into staff paper, etc. Like he's got all these systems. Right. Um, what I'm interested in is is what the obviously you've talked about your compositional approach to a certain extent, but I I do want to like kind of focus in on how do you reach that end point because it so you you get together for a session and you guys improvise and you record it and you go home and you listen back to stuff and is it that you're picking out or it inspires things that you're like okay this is a cool idea mm-hmm. and then you come back next time and you say hey this is what we should do because right. it, it sounds like therefore the rehearsing is the composing and vice versa in, in a way? Not really, actually. Uh, because it, it could be that way, but it was really like sessions. Then I thought a lot, a lot, a lot about what to say and what not to say. Mm-hmm. And I also really tried to... Because I knew the people who were playing with me so much, I tried to anticipate which kind of information they were going to need and which was better not to say. So it's not like we made any decisions in the rehearsal. I kind of sucked in their souls in my room (laughs) for a while. And then uh, because I know them so well, once we were there, I was like, okay, this is the plan. And you have nothing written until we get here. Mm -hmm. And you, um, of course... Each time the songs turn out differently, so it's it is, um, yeah. We are all composing, but uh, but it's not the sort of let's figure it out together in the rehearsal kind of mm-hmm. thing because we're so many people. Also, yeah. I mean, a couple of things, right? But for example, one one 
song was because I put the three tracks on Logic at the same time, like one with a free, like one with a session with the singers, one with the horns, one with the drummer. <laughs> okay, wow. And uh, I was gonna, you know, it was just to make my life easier. I was gonna mute the two I was not using while while listening to one, but I kind of listened to all of them at the same time. And it was <laughs> insane. <laughs> and then I was like, whoa, okay. So I realized that in this band, it really feels a bit like each section is like an organism that functions biologically together. And then mm -hmm. like, uh, yeah, the interactions happen as little organisms kind of, like the drums are always together, the horns are always together. Of course, it's not a rule rule, but that's kind of how it works. And mm -hmm. um, these are songs I had also, some of them I really sang a lot before. So I had played them in a traditional jazz kind of, not it was never really very traditional, but you know, like uh, they have, if you see the scores, they actually don't look like graphic scores. They're, yeah, okay. they're kind of lead shitty. Yeah. Lichiti. <laughs> and <laughs> like a lychee? <laughs> <laughs> They're like liches. Yeah. Um, this means for the people who don't know, this means that I actually write down chords and melody. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, time, now we found you out for Santa. It turns out actually you're yeah. a jazz musician. Oh my um, god, no. <laughs> no, that's great. Uh, but yeah, i yeah. Some, it's kind of a mix between very specific arrangements and then whatever is not going, whatever is not necessary. Then I just don't say anything and I let people figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. There's all kinds of uh, of uh, we've been going on for more than an hour now. Oh there's all God. kinds of things that we could uh, still talk about, and I do want to still talk about, assuming that you have the time. Okay. Um, this is uh, it's ironic that we've been going an hour and I haven't spoken about this yet, but you play bass. <laughs> um, and uh, and I do want to hear about that. Like, where did that come from? When did that come into your to your work? Um, and uh, and yeah, like what the uh, the notion of playing bass and singing at the same time. I mean, obviously, everybody's always going to tell you that that Esperanza Spalling does that. But yeah, tell me about the bass. Like, where did the bass come in? And and what is your relationship to the to the instrument, etc. The bass came in because I always liked. Um I mean, I was in bands with bass players and I went to see a lot of concerts and I always thought, these guys are having so much fun, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, because it's such an active part of the band. And uh, sometimes I would also want to kind of play that way when I was in the bands and kind of comp someone. And I felt, I mean... Some people were comfortable with it, but it was also like, wow, it's my solo. Why are you singing? And I was like, oh, that's true. That was intrusive. Uh, <laughs> but I always had like a lot of love for bass. And at a certain point I got uh, nodules, like vocal injuries. And okay. they told me, you cannot sing for five months. Oh, wow. And yeah. you can speak for two. And I had already kind of stopped doing other life things. Like I was going to a high school that was only on Saturday, so I could be a musician and I was like playing concerts and I was like, oops, what am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is me. So I called um, a friend, a, a dad of one of my friends who is a luthier and a bass player and I was like, I would really like to play bass. Okay. Because I, I just liked it and... Uh, Alev Castañeda, who was uh, very important, he, he passed away. That's why I said, like, was. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, 
yeah, who I played with a lot, he, he would always, you know, let me play his bass a bit for fun mm. in the rehearsal. So when that moment came, I was like, okay, maybe I want to play bass. And he was like, well, I have this one that has been like uh, here, surrounded by moths for some years. Why don't you save it? <laughs> it was like a tiny one. And uh, yeah. It was really, uh, it was really fortunate that he could let me try with that. So I, I was quiet and playing bass for some months, and <laughs> you know how it is because you're a bass player yourself. That it's quite easy to start playing gigs when you play bass. This is true. Uh, I didn't know anything. I had been playing for one month, but I was like in a band playing bass. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I would do my... Mm, 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 uh, yeah. And, um, yeah, then from then, it just kind of... It was up and down because also it was... For some stupid reason, I was a little bit embarrassed of my bass playing for some time because mm. I had been singing so long with other bass players that were much more advanced than me. I felt as if I was going to take their place in my own band, which was really weird. <laughs> uh, so I would play for some months and then maybe have a bit of rest because I was very busy singing and then do it again. And at a certain point also, um, when Brody moved to Scotland, he used to be the bass player in my band. I realized I had been playing my songs also all the time at home myself. Yeah. Uh, on bass and that it was really weird to call someone else <laughs> after he was going I so I kind of I guess that was the moment where I decided that that was the thing yeah and that's been like three years that that I that I play bass constantly now I, sometimes I also play a lot of concerts where I don't sing although I I know that singing is like my main I, I would really die if I couldn't sing, you mm. know. But uh, yeah, I was always kind of hoping at some point I would reach a feeling that I just had my vibe with singing and playing bass, that it was not... I, I never kind of felt like I was going to be a very virtuosic jazz player who is in all, everyone's bands, you know. So that's how it's been for me. And so what, like... um. From I mean I I have I have done this a bunch myself, which is the act of of singing and playing bass at the same time. But I do want to hear your perspective on it. Like, what is that like? What is the process like to be multitasking in that way? Because <laughs> um, I always feel like there's a weird kind of gymnastics going on in my brain when I'm singing and playing bass at the same time, which is sort of like weirdly skipping back and forth between two things that are happening at the same time. Yeah. Which I think may, maybe it's akin to a piano player with left and right hand or to right. a drummer with different limbs. But like, I don't know, is that is that a topic you can discuss? Is that something you're even aware of as, as, a, as a thing? Or? Well, it started, of course, first when I played songs, I would really have to do one thing, then the other and try to coordinate it bar by bar. And now it's becoming more and more natural because I do it so often. <laughs> but um, probably it's just as you say with the piano playing, you know, it's yeah. absolutely the same. Although what is really interesting is that they have such different functions in a group. Yeah. So the singer is always 
in front and the bass is like the support in my perception of yeah. songs. I think that's <laughs> a general feeling. So at first it would be something like uh, I would sing the last note, like finish oh, and forget that I had to also look at the drummer to play the last song with <laughs> you know, like the last note or things like this, you oh, know, yeah. they just have two different roles. Yeah. Um, but it now it really feels right to me. Like I, I feel regard. I mean, the only funny thing is always to find the, the how to stand in the band stage <laughs> because bass is so big. Then you put it in the front. It's like, but the singer is supposed to be in the front. So that's like the only funny thing yeah. now. Like, uh, <laughs> but um yeah, it makes sense to me. And um, I'm really happy that playing bass, I get to also, you know, be more of a support character, which I, I really love that, you know? Yeah, yeah to yeah. disappear a bit myself. And in singing, you can do it too, but singing is a spotlight. It's always been like this and will always be. Yeah. So I love to be a part of a, another thing as a bass player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Um Okay, one more thing. Um, so in that uh, in that playlist, it is all original material except for one song. Can yeah. you tell me about your decision to do that? Is that a regular practice of yours to kind of include uh, kind of covering other people's material, or is it was it like what is it about that song in particular that you thought uh, that maybe tell people about the song and stuff? Yeah. Um, well, <clears throat> of course, I play other people's songs all the time because there is. So great. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I would get very bored playing my own songs, but at home, I in, in concerts, I mean, they're just great songs, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm playing. Uh, and in this particular case, Davidaro, I played this song, Ariles del Campanario. Um, Davidaro is one of my heroes from all times. He's a singer-songwriter from Veracruz. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not very known outside of Mexico, but uh, he's really a wonderful, wonderful composer. And I love that song and I had been playing it also just for myself and sometimes when I had solo shows. And when I saw that my parents were there and that I still had time, my <laughs> mom really loves that song. So, oh, yeah. So I just thought, okay, I'm going to sing it. It was not a, a planned thing okay. to be in the playlist, but... It was fortunate. I mean, it's because that day we recorded and filmed everything, you know, that it, it is there now. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not really like a premeditated choice. <laughs> cool. Besides that, um, is there any other projects that we haven't mentioned? I mean, um, obviously this is your, your band, but I know that from this, the uh, the trio with uh, Alistair and Jose is a, is a thing that has... Uh, kind of formed or alongside it has formed. Do you want to speak a bit about that? I know that there's possibly an album to come at some point maybe or... Yeah, well, uh, with Jose and Alistair, it came a little bit from this session, I Mm -hmm. told you, but now uh, we have a trio in which I sing and play bass and it's alto saxophone and trumpet and it's a very particular color and as I said, we don't need to... It's magic. It, we don't need to discuss anything. Yeah. We just go together. <laughs> so that's a really exciting prog- uh, project for me right now. And uh, yeah, we 
we have been working undercover on on this for some months and now we have some shows coming up yeah um in amsterdam and um, and also in the hague and hopefully in many other places and also there's a possibility of recording an album with our record label that we were speaking with we have already some recordings that can be found on soundcloud um yeah. Alistair Fuensanta Jose but this is one very dear project for me and uh, also I'm playing solo yeah. which was uh, which has been uh, a very magical experience but that happens you know just when it happens there's a lot I, I'm thinking probably this is also going to be a bit more documented soon but yeah. um And I sing with Dice Mace band, yeah. with whom we're releasing a new album actually next week in yeah. Bimaus, 28th of February. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, with Guy Salomon and with Young Wu, yeah. Young Wu Lee and uh, Ali and Jose. This is the thing, we keep being in different people's bands, yeah. the three of us. So <laughs> then it made sense to make yeah. a trio, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's really fun music and uh, I really love that. Also Giuseppe Campisi is there, so the Tyson May Band and in Brody Jarvis Quinted. Yeah. Uh, which Sonmi, I think, already said something about it last time she was here. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, I'm sure uh, people will know how to find uh, all those things. Um, unless there's anything that we haven't mentioned that you want to uh, still touch upon, I think we're we're reaching the, uh, the end of this conversation. And I always like to ask my guests to recommend something, uh, something that you find particularly inspiring, something you think maybe deserve some attention or that you might like to recommend that the listeners listeners go check out. And it can be absolutely anything. I, I always tell people it can be a book, it can be a movie, it can be yeah. uh, whatever. Well, first of all, I would like to apologize for speaking so long. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> And uh, after this, um, yeah, I was thinking about this when you mentioned it earlier. I think uh, there's this book called The Mirror in the Mirror from Mikhail Ende. Yeah, that uh, I think almost no one I talk to knows, and for me, it's a beautiful work of art that I'm still trying to understand. I think that there's something deeper there than what is it's seems like, like surrealist short yeah. stories. Yeah, it's surreal short stories. Yeah. So I would like to recommend this one, and if someone reads it and has some thoughts, please contact me. <laughs> In you know, whatever you look for with my name, I'm going to be there. I would really love to hear what you think. So the mirror in the mirror. And uh, I mean, now it feels like such a big deal if I only recommend this one thing. I think that's fine. I mean, I've had people <laughs> recommend dozens of things. I've had people say just, I usually ask for one thing, but if you have, uh, if you have any other things, then please... Well, you know, I, I've spoken plenty. I have lots of other things to recommend, but let's keep this one. It's yeah. a good one. <laughs> sure, cool. Fonsanta, <laughs> uh, thanks, thanks uh, so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you so much, Pat. There'll be more music from Fonsanta in just a moment. Many thanks to my fellow members of Keicho for providing the intro and outro music for the show. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, leave favorable reviews and star ratings wherever that may be, and tell a friend if you know anybody who might like to listen to these kinds of conversations. 
Go to patreon.com slash sound of the moment if you'd like to make a donation to help me keep the show up and running. Even the smallest amounts are really helpful, and thanks loads to those of you who already helped me that way. You can reach me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver. You can like the Sound of the Moment page on Facebook and find me over there. Or you can email me at pat at soundofthemoment.com. I'd like to end the show with another live recording of Fuensanta's band. This one actually features the trio with Alistair Payne and Jose Suarez, and it's called Yo Te Buscaba Tanto. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next month with another episode of Sound of the Moment. por la brisa yo te buscaba yo te buscaba tanto, 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 Tengo esta visión Donde me encuentro a mí misma Vomitando descontroladamente Hay gente alrededor Que me mira Y al fin me entienden Es una
tengo esta visión donde me encuentro a mí misma bajo un solo azotador en un campo de maíz o de girasoles estoy suspendida sobre las plantas como en una plancha de cristal Lágrimas escurren sin cesar. Es un alivio. Yo te buscaba tanto, tanto, tanto. Yo te buscaba tanto, 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 tanto. A veces tengo esta visión 